Hey everyone, I'm Alex Cantor. And I'm Lily Rosenthal. Welcome to our podcast, Hot Pastrami. We are coming to you from our favorite booth at Cantor's Deli here in LA. We're going to invite some of our friends to join us for a chat over some matzo ball soup and pastrami sandwiches. So join us for new episodes of Hot Pastrami every week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts. See you soon. Bye. Hi, peeps. Help Me Be Me is underfunded and needs your help. If you enjoy listening to this or it helps you at all, please visit helpmebeme.com and click donate or visit me on Patreon. Thanks. Hi, friends. It's Sarah May, and this is a tribute podcast, I would say, because it's really based around a book um, that I just read, and I really, really, really think it's important for you to read it. Um, it's called Lost Connections, and I'm going to put a link in the show notes. <clears throat> so it's it's all about disillusionment and, like, chronic emptiness, um, so feelings of depression or anxiety, and what this is really about is, like, it's your body's way of mourning life, life events. Um, so depression and anxiety are both forms of disconnection. We are cut off from things that we need as humans. And it's like we don't realize that a lot of these needs are, are foundational and like necessary, specifically connection to other human beings, um, closeness with our other human beings. And it's like we kind of don't think of that as like a basic human need, like air, you know, but it very much is. And that's because I think we are kind of in a stage of culture that is like very individualistic and siloed. Like, yes, there's social media, but it's in-person connection that is really, um, I don't know, soothing, grounding. It helps us feel human. And we don't realize at any given time how much culture affects our worldview and our habits and the thoughts and feelings we have about ourselves. And um, that's that, you know, that feedback from culture is so ingrained. If you want to do an experiment to see how conditioned you are by the various facets of culture, I invite you to watch a movie from like 10 years ago. I recently watched Good Luck Chuck which I think was on Prime or something like that. And it was shocking. It was like, oh, my God, this is so offensive in, in just how women are portrayed and men are portrayed. It's not that long ago, though. Like, we don't realize the messages we are receiving all of the time. So the gist of this is a lot of our cultural um, norms or things that are kind of reinforced are about me and maintaining me and main, main, maintaining um, – kind of like an elevated self and I don't know it's like I feel like it's a modern thing that a lot of us don't say hi or make eye contact on the street I think that's partly reinforced by just having phones it's really it's a lot easier to hide and not engage with strangers and a lot of our our I guess societal depression is like a literal mourning of the consistent life experiences that are they are that we are kind of supposed to have so there are things that are vital to our baseline as humans 
And these are needs that aren't being properly, A, recognized, B, addressed, and C, processed. And I think a lot of that is because we don't know how real and necessary these needs are. Because um, back in the day, you know, we had smaller villages, everyone had a role, you were closer to your family. Like there were community networks that sustained um, people in this like really basic core human needs area. And I think like what we experience nowadays is isolation among many. Like we'll be around lots of people, but we'll be isolated. And that isolation paired with a focus on external, external goals, external possessions, external statuses, I think keeps us all in a state of chasing, chasing happiness, chasing a feeling of wholeness, of satisfaction, of home. And I think that's why depression and anxiety rates are going up. I think you see, you know, wide, widespread depression is like really about what's broken in modern society. It's like a widespread mourning of um, a lack of purpose, a lack of connection, a lack of feeling like we matter to other human beings. And what we tend to do as a culture is numb ourselves enough so that we can tolerate the emptiness of life. And we can tolerate it when our insides match the conditions. Like ways of numbing include shopping, taking meds, watching streaming in every vacant hour so you're not thinking too much. It's like a desire to be a 2D photo of yourself that is photoshopped versus living as a full and messy and real version of yourself. Like that's kind of, I guess, my metaphor for <laughs> what it's like to be human now. And I'm writing this because um, this book really blew my mind. And I got to say, it's a lot of information that you've heard before, but it's, it's like insights that are very logical. But the book frames it in such a powerful and concise way. It's, I would say it's similar to a Gladwell book, but the stats are less disparate. Like it seems more, oh, yeah, no, duh, that makes sense. It's like a very logical kind of book. So I'd recommend it to anyone who is depressed or anxious with a caveat that um, it has a, a – in the beginning of the book, it talks about medication and um, you might not reading – you might not like reading that part because it's kind of about the placebo effect, you know, in, in terms of antidepressants. And I know that a lot of people like get very upset to think about that idea. So if, if you're worried about that in particular, maybe don't read that part or maybe start, you know, 100 pages in or something like that. Um, but, you know, the book is a kind of like a recipe for rebuilding yourself as a happy human. I'm going to kind of go through, I think, some of the most important points that I took away from it. And for whatever it's worth, if you're unsure if this episode's for you, I'm just I'll give you a summary up front. The summary of this episode is we need connection and purpose. It's vital to our humanity. We need to feel like we play an important role in the lives of others. And we need a sense that future will get better. And we cannot identify our worth or happiness with external standards. And if we do, we end up chronically unhappy. And by external standards, I mean looks, possessions, money, a title, status. So with that, there are three parts, the what, the why, and the how, the tools. Part one, the what. 
depression and anxiety, feelings of hopelessness or chronic stress that contribute to an emptiness inside. So one that we can't seem to scratch no matter what we do. Maybe you buy all the right stuff, you date the right type of people, you get the right job, you work nonstop, you work out nonstop, you do all the stuff, um, but maybe you're just in a constant state of striving. Like you just kind of feel a little hollow, like nothing you do is real or authentic. And another form of this is feeling a profound sense of pointlessness, like a lack of interest in life, like a emptiness, as I said, like feeling like you're chasing something that you can never quite catch up to. And maybe that takes the form of feeling like you're not good enough no matter what you do, that you need to change something about yourself to be happy, or feeling like you need meds or a distraction to get through the banality of your day. Maybe your depression takes the form of a sense of dread around life and the future, or maybe it takes the form of feeling chronically stuck, like nothing's changing and I keep trying and nothing seems to improve the circumstances of my life. Maybe you're feeling empty and like a failure, like you always need something to take the edge off of that feeling, like meds or drinks or smoking or anything that fills the void inside just to get through the week or the month or the year. It's like life is a superficial loop of sameness. Or maybe you're on a treadmill of pursuit, like unbusiness, like you believe happiness is just over that next mountain of achievement or happiness is just being busy in your to-do list. But when you actually slow down and look at your life, it's like you realize you've already conquered so many mountains and none of them have really changed anything. They've never made a difference. Part two, the why. <clears throat> we all have basic needs as human beings. I'm going to give you a list right now of our basic needs as human beings. So pay attention. This is the secret to happiness, literally. We need to feel connected, valued, secure. We need to have autonomy. And we need to feel like we are good at something. And we need to make feel like we make a difference in the world outside of ourselves, like in the lives of others. And we also need a sense that the future will get better. Like we need to be able to feel hopeful. So one really important thing to know about depression is it removes your capacity to imagine the future. It literally stops that part of our brain from functioning. Like we cannot imagine future scenarios. So that's just like something to keep in your pocket for forever. If you are ever depressed, you won't you will not be able to imagine this depression changing because that part of your brain stops, you know, goes offline. And there are different causes of depression. Um, some are biological. Basically, the biology part of it is that you can be more vulnerable to depression based on your genetic makeup. However, the major, the most common, the majority of, cause, of the causes of depression are life experiences. So a very, very small percentage of depression is the kind that is um, without cause, like the there's some bio biological malfunction. So the majority of us who are depressed in the world, that is because of some life events. It usually is catalyzed by a traumatic life event or conditions of your life changing. The most widespread causes of depression are basically normal responses to these life events because 
Basically, there are things that should not be happening. So there are a lot. I'm going to give you a list of like kind of the different categories of causes. But generally, I would say all of these fall under cultural loneliness, like feeling like you don't matter, feeling like what you put your efforts into has nothing to do with you as a human being, and feeling like your conditions are not going to change, aka feeling powerless and therefore hopeless, like you're looking down the barrel of a long loaded gun. That was dark. <laughs> dark. Okay. So here's my list. Um, I think I don't know how many there are. Seven or eight or something like that. Okay, so the first one, loneliness as a way of life. Um, loneliness when it's measured in large samplings of groups, like I mean actual studies done around loneliness, it, it's deadly. It's really bad for your health. It's worse than obesity and how it affects your health. Um, so loneliness includes being disconnected from those around you. And I would say that's something that's like commonplace and normalized nowadays. It's just like in how it manifests in our communities, it seems like it's actually difficult for people to find communities where you will see strangers on the street acknowledge you as another human being as you're walking by. But loneliness also manifests as the superficial content of socializing with people around you. Um, in, in other words, like we can feel really lonely if we're only having really superficial conversations, like at the water cooler, like, oh, did you see that Game of Thrones? Da, da, da. Like that's that can make us feel lonely because we're never getting past that level of like sameness. All right, second on this list, feeling like you don't matter. Um, so this would happen through like your job making you feel dehumanized. Like if you're reduced to a number or um if you are reduced to uh, an action that has nothing to do with your thoughts or opinions about that action, like it's the way this book referred to it as internalized oppression. Like we become soulless because we don't we know we do not matter in the equation of our job. Um, and the more we have to submit to powerlessness, um, the more we will feel humiliated. Like. We just, if we feel dehumanized in, in our daily lives, we will internalize a feeling of worthlessness and humiliation. So maybe you're doing something that doesn't reward you every single day, and that creates a feeling of hopelessness, and you cannot escape that feeling. It's like being trapped. And when you feel the worst in life is when you, are, when you feel trapped, when you cannot help yourself. Disempowerment is the most... Um, excruciating and damaging feeling. And it's actually translates into a lot of health problems. Um, so when you're dealing with something every day that does not touch any part of who you are, you will feel a sense of despair. And despair also comes about when there's like a very vast difference in the effort you put into something and the reward you get out of it. All right, third on my list, no hope of change and like a stressful life. So if you are like, let's say you are in a shit storm of stress. If you have that happen long term and there's no hope of that changing, you are three times more likely to become depressed. If you have something in your life like a, a partner who's really helpful and supportive to you, that reduces your chances of developing depression like dramatically. But if you don't have a support system, if you don't have somebody, like a friend or a partner who can help you, 
then it increases your um, whatever you call it, depression, chances of depression by 75%. AKA, you're much more likely to have depression. Um, so when you have like a series of bad events or a series of, if you just are stressed over a long period of time, this just creates a generalized feeling of like hopelessness. Like I see no hope of change and that just causes more depression. All right, fourth on my list, emotional abuse. Um, I mean, this is like kind of a different example of the causes of depression because, I mean, emotional abuse in like childhood. So if you had parents who were really um, cruel to you or you were neglected, um, this is also a major predictor of your depression in adulthood. Number five on my list, a uh, focus on external versus internal. So that's like a huge one in society today, which is like, we focus on stuff that will not make us happy and we continue to chase more stuff versus having goals that are internal. So what I mean by that is like, um, I want to be a really good wife. I want to be a really good friend. I want to be uh, a really kind person. Those are all internal versus external. I want to be the number one podcast on the iTunes list. That's an external goal. So the internal goals like really, really actually make you feel good. They translate into happiness. External don't fulfill anything that we think that it will. It's short-lived at the very least. All right, six on my list, genes. But this is like a, a sort of thing on the depression causes list because it's, it really just increases your – um, vulnerability to these other factors. It doesn't in itself cause depression. Like your genetic makeup will make you more susceptible it, like or more sensitive. It doesn't mean you have genes that make you depressed. Um, so experiences basically activate any genes that we have and we turn they either turn them on or turn them off. All right, number seven, a biological malfunction. And so this one I mentioned is a really, really small group. It's like, I don't know, something like, 3% of depression, something like that. Um, they call it endogenous depression, and that's when it's not caused by something external. And this is the kind of depression you're born with. Like if you have manic depression or bipolar disorder, it's like you're, these types of brains are more prone to depressive episodes. But you, if you're in this group, you're also not exempt from the environmental factors. Like that's still the most important. Number eight, invisible roots. So this is my catch-all bucket for a particular kind of experience. Like you might be asking yourself, if I cannot see the causes, if I have every reason in my life to be happy and, and yet I am for some strange reason profoundly sad, what could be the reason? So I, by roots, I mean I invite you to look deeper because often by our modern standards, it appears that we have everything. But when we look at our roots, it's like there's something unseen by us that is truer for us. There's something that our heart is longing for and that perhaps society and your particular circle does not validate or see as important to happiness. Does that make sense? Like, for example, I didn't think community was like a thing. I was like, meh, I don't really like hanging around large groups of people that I don't know. Like the idea of having a strong community was like, yeah, I don't know. This, the word's kind of, I don't know, 
feels like a little stale to me for some reason. But then when you actually do have a strong sense of community and there are strangers or, you know, neighbors that are supportive to you, that greet you, that know you, that uh, contribute to you, it's, it is such a positive, strengthening, grounding feeling. And I think that is just a baseline that we need from everyone around us all the time is a sense of like a shared experience and a sense of connection to other people. So that's like an example, my personal example of something that I didn't recognize was important at all or that contributed to my happiness at all. But I'm understanding it now only in the face of A, reading this book, but also B, actually having a community for the first time in a really long time. Like, I don't know. There are lots of them all throughout life. Like you might go to an exercise class where you have a sense of community. You might go to church and you have a sense of community. But like, if you don't have that, you should have that. You should find that and foster it. Um, So I invite you, if you feel like I should be happy, I have everything. There's something else in your root system that's not getting the right nutrients. And maybe it's in the, I'm I'm negating what my heart really wanted to do as a career. I don't know. It's, it's going to take some soul searching. This is really just like uh, having the awareness if there is something there that's missing. Which brings me to part three, the how, the tools. All right, tool number one, be in awe. So when we are depressed, we are stuck in our ego. And like we're, we're unable to see anything bigger than our problems. We're very selfish when we're depressed. So one solution to being it, depressed is really being around things that inspire a sense of awe, like that remind you of how small you are. It's like to have access to something bigger than you and grander than you and more infinite than you is really uh, almost like a fabricated way of being able to see the, that there's future possibility. You know what I mean? It kind of inspires the same type of thinking. It's like, oh, yeah. There's so much more to me than my brain is telling me or showing me right now. Um, So an obvious one is being in nature. Um, Another one is if you can get to a place where you can see the stars. Stars are very humbling and just – and we don't get to see them very often. And they're very, like, magical. They make us feel like little tiny creatures on a planet. So those are my two. Um, So it's just really important to be – in the presence of something greater. And that's why I would say like nature is really important. It's important as an ingredient in your life. Even if you're like, I don't like bugs, I don't like dirt, it's still really important to be around nature or witness nature. There was a experiment that they did in the 70s with a prison and half of the rooms looked at farmland and trees. The other half of the rooms looked at a wall. And so those people who had view a view of the farmland were 24% less likely to have physical or mental illness. There you go. We need to have a connection to, like, ourselves as human creatures, as being animals, you know? It's like, it's very balancing. Um, Okay, next tool, make joy the why. Or this is another version of this. This is a mantra. Just do the thing. Only do the thing. Don't do anything else. Just do the thing. When you're doing something, don't do it for an external measure. Just do the thing you're doing. Do it only to do that thing. And if you can, 
do it because you enjoy doing it. I know this is like a hard exercise to impose on yourself, especially if you are a goal-driven person, because I feel like we all are nowadays. But basically, instead of making an external measure of something, the ultimate like goal of doing that thing, instead of, you know, saying like, I want to do this because I want to lose weight. It's like, maybe I just really enjoy jumping on a trampoline. Make it about fun. Make it about joy. Because when you um, make it about being in flow or a feeling of getting lost in the moment, uh, you actually get more value out of the thing. And if you don't, if you make it about like some external measure, it becomes a tool to measure our worth. Like we take the experience away from ourselves and we are less satisfied by it. Like it can, it's the ex- exact same action. But it's just when you put a measurement on something as the reason behind it, it's like you immediately remove all value from it. It's just like um, it becomes like very dissatisfying. So as much as you can, do the thing just to do the thing. Okay, next tool, stay out of little egos. So imagine there's like a mafia hangout called Little Egos. And she is a violent motherfucker, this little ego. So when we get into our own heads, we are in like the HAL 9000 realm of measurement. Like this is when things become very small and trivial and fleeting. And they are not big picture life-size things. It's also when we are removed from our felt sense of the world. So for how, as best you can... Stay out of your ego when you're coming from, when you're approaching anything. It's like the power, the control, all of those motives for things are not allowing all of you to participate and be present and enjoy the value of that experience. It becomes so much smaller and so much more, you know, hollow. So just, I guess what I'm trying to say with both of these tools is like, be an animal, be a human with a felt experience of the things you do in your life. All right, the next tool is a journal prompt. It's called value shift. Materialistic people, as I said, experience less joy and more despair. Also, they have higher rates of depression and anxiety. People who are motivated by external things um, you're, you're doing things because you get something in return. Your goals are kind of built around um, a payback, like accumulating things, including status, possessions, looks, you know, stuff like that, a title. So I basically want you to journal about your goals, completely unfettered, just journal, and look at what your goals are. Just, you know, don't edit based on what I've just said. Just write down, like, all of your whatever, anything that you can think of that's a goal for you. And then maybe take a break from it for an hour. And then I want you to take another stab and look at it again and try and rework them to ensure you are setting goals that are intrinsic. Like basically, um, or at the very least, putting the internal goals at a higher level of importance in your life. For example, like, you know, I want to be, I want to be a good person who has a, you know, very authentic relationships. That would be an internal goal. I want to be a great mom. I want to be a great friend. I want to be honorable and trustworthy as a person. 
Um, I want to be proud of who I am and how I act. Because when you set goals that you find uh, that are internal facing, they, you get lasting enjoyment and, and the outcome is more happiness as a result. For example, like if you focus on the relationships, the quality of the relationships you want to have, you will find in the future you are much happier. Um, and even if that goal is I want to feel better about who I am, that's a healthier version of a similar goal, which is I want to be the best at, you know, I want to have the best body in whatever, my county, whatever. Um, one is external, one is internal. Both of them equal you improving yourself, but one is for you internally, not at you, at the cost of you. Next tool is the Y purifier. Um, okay, so I want you to apply the Y filter in, in any circumstance, and then once you apply that filter, sterilize the actions you take. So just filter it. Make sure you're doing things for the right reasons. It might be really hard to recognize what your motives are if you've been participating in our culture for your entire life. So I invite you to just become more conscious of your motives in the coming weeks. Like, basically, the goal is to remove the getting something out of this crabs from the action, whatever it is. In the back of your mind, I just want you to start asking yourself, why am I doing this? Is it for the status? Is it for others to think something about me? Or is it because... I want to do the thing because I enjoy it. Or is it because, like, um, I, I mean, I want to be accountable, et cetera. And I know that, like, when it comes down to it, it's going to be case by case. It's, you have to take, you know, certain actions to not get fired. <laughs> this is more like a aspirational, I guess. All right, the next tool, my root system. And this is another journal reflection exercise. Um, I want you to examine if you are truly getting what you need from your life or if something profound is lacking deep within. So if you de feel depressed and you haven't had any, you know, negative circumstances or traumatic events that preceded the depression, uh, then I want you to ask yourself the following prompts and write about them in your journal. So grab a pen and get ready to hit the pause button because I have a long list. All right. First one is... Do you currently have autonomy and freedom to explore and grow? Next question, do you have respect from others? Next question, do you have meaning in the work you do? Whether it is in a profession or maybe it's a practice or a routine. Next question, do you feel seen and understood by others? Next question. Do you feel closely connected to others in your life? Next question. Do you feel that you matter, that you impact the world or the lives of others in a positive way? Next question. Do you feel hopeful about the future and what you can become? Next question. Do you have a positive and beyond surface level um, Sorry, do you have positive and beyond surface level human contact on a daily basis? Next question. Do you do things just because you enjoy them? If so, what are these things? 
Next question. Are you proud of who you are minus all of your titles and all of your stuff? Next question. Do you feel humiliated by anything you have to do currently in your life? And these are all really tough questions, I know. I just really want to, I guess, give you the option of confronting the true causes versus wishing, you know, the answer was simple. Because I think, you know, a lot of the time we're told things can be simple. We just need a pill. We just need this object. We just need, you know, a, a partner. We just need a blah, blah, blah. We just need a vacation. So this is how we actually process and eradicate the causes of depression. We look at the causes, we target them, and hopefully if we have the right access, we move through them and process them with the help of others. And that could be a friend or a therapist. So the reason I wanted to invite you to look at these is to see whether or not your brain has been trained to look outside for measures of worth and happiness, or if you have the ability to look inside where it matters most. All right. The next tool is called the squeeze, sympathy slash empathy. When we practice empathy, this is when we feel a gush of human connection. We, got, we get all the good, you know, anti-depression goo. So I want you to practice moving past sympathy, um, or maybe sympathy is your starting point. But the goal of this exercise is to move into a state of empathy. And by that, I mean feeling uh, somebody else's pain, really putting yourself in their shoes and really feeling for them as if you were them, seeing from their perspective. And, you know, I mean, I would, I would guess that this isn't necessary for a lot of people listening. A lot of people, I think, who listen to the show have an innate sense of empathy. But, you know, if you don't, if you are one of those people that tends to feel, like, removed from others and the pain of others, like, okay, for example, if you see somebody um, in a protest on the news get injured and you don't feel like, oh, my God, that poor person, you might need to do this practice. You might need to sharpen your skills. If you can't feel, like, the agony of another human being, any human being's pain, then I would encourage you to do this exercise. Um, so self-select, <laughs> put it that way. So the people you might normally ignore or walk past, try and engage them. Like be a human on their level. This applies to also people we, we normally shut out. Like for example, like the homeless. Um, so this is an exercise to continue to repeat. It's to continue to exercise this practice. And that is because we, the more human connection we feel, to other human beings, the better we feel. It's just like we get, uh, we feel like more, more connected to ourselves as humans. It's like, it's remarkable. Just, I don't know, try it out. All right, <laughs> next tool, grab a brick. Um, this is a kind of a bit lofty one. You're going to build a community. And that's because we really, really, really need community to not feel depressed. Depressed. So this is hugely important. And I mean, you know, I'm not saying like overnight you're going to be able to do this, but like this is a starting point. I, I think you're – I want you to start to foster a sense of community in your life. And I mean not just at Christmas time, not 
Just the chit-chat before a meeting begins. I mean real heart-to-hearts with people who are invested in your well-being and you in theirs. And if you don't have this in your life currently, I want you to begin to foster it. The word community is kind of like, I don't know, something about it is kind of weird. It's like a little removed, at least to me. Um, It seems like something you read about in a school book. The importance of a tight-knit community in health. Just, I don't know, feels very remote. But I think, you know, if you... If you think about it in terms of like having a community is the difference between daily joy or sporadic once a year joy, it it is a life changer. And often it means, yes, we have to um, alter practical details of our routine. And this type of thing might take a few years to build, but make community and connection an important factor in just how you plan your life and in, in how you plan your next move, for example. And I would say make this more important to you than status or whatever, architecture. Like This is a really essential part of life. It's part of your baseline. Another way to build community is to talk about your problems with those who care about you and ask for help, ask for love, ask for care and support. Because that also makes a difference in the lives of others. That makes them feel valuable to give it to you. All right, the next tool, this is like a quick fix antidote to depression. This is like one of the pills I would offer you if you're like, I'm fucking depressed today. This is a pill you can take right now. Make someone's day or make someone's day slightly better. That's an easier one. And the tiniest bit. When you can make someone happy just in any shape or form, for example, um, if somebody's begging for money on the freeway and you open your window and you give them money, that makes that person happy. You will feel really good just doing that. I mean, I'm, I'm assuming. Some people have weird things, you know, complexes about giving money to homeless people. Another one, telling someone they look awesome today. That's an easy one. Uh, sending someone a letter where you tell them everything that they do that in your life that you appreciate. All of these ways, all of these things are ways to feel like a gush of happiness um, and connection. All right, the last tool I have is one I want to encourage you the most to do because it's so easy. Say hi. Say hi. That's it. Give people a little nod. Acknowledge they exist. If you're walking by somebody on the sidewalk, smile and wave. That's it. Because we all walk by other human beings all the time and we say nothing. And in this context, you can see it's pretty sick. They did a study where they looked at um, setting, it's basically like they studied whether or not if you set a goal to be happier, if that would mean that you become happier. And the answer is yes, in every country except the U.S., every country that was in this study except for the U.S. And that's because in the United States, we are individualistic. And in other places like Japan, for example, they are collectivist societies, which is it's basically what it means is like they're the way they became happier was by doing things like making other people happy. They saw it as like I have to strengthen my society versus I have to strengthen myself. So we have to train ourselves to be more collectivistic and collectivist. Blah, blah, blah. And we have to just acknowledge other human beings. As we see them, I mean, once you start, once this becomes top of mind, you'll start recognizing 
how like lonely it will feel it can feel to walk around and not see have anyone see you it's so weird it's strange and it's like i mean for me it was kind of normal until very recently and now i'm like oh that is kind of weird um so yeah i think when you start to apply this filter to the world it will shock you because there's such isolation among many people so a lot of information in this episode a key takeaway i wanted to leave you with is if you are depressed it can be really helpful to talk about what has happened to you if there was an initiating event that catalyzed it and even more helpful it change your social circumstances so that you have deeper and consistent connections I know that's like, <laughs> oh, is that all? So I know it's a big ask. So at the very least, just start by getting some clarity on your particular story, your particular root system. And just, I invite you to write a chronology down. Like just write, a, you know, a chain of events. Like what has happened in your life that has impacted you? Start from when you were born and just like make a timeline. That is a great starting point. Um. Before I close, I wanted to send a huge thank you to all of my latest sponsors. This is the week or the month or two months, I should say, of awesome Catherine's. Catherine, number one, huge donation from you. Thank you so much. Um, and a new monthly sponsor, Rahal, thank you so much. Tatiana, thank you for your amazing donation. And another new monthly sponsor on Patreon, Gail. Thank you, Gail. And a donation from Catherine with a K via Yay With Me. Thank you so much. And you are also a new yearly sponsor, Catherine with a K. And you also gave a couple donations separate from that, massive ones. You're awesome. Thank you so much. And thanks. If you, let me know if you have any requests. And thank you, Larissa. Just got a wonderful donation from you today. All of you, absolutely. Let me know if you have any requests. I appreciate you all. And then another Catherine donation from you. Thank you a million times. Love my Catherines. So in closing, in broad strokes, depression isn't a problem with your brain. It's a problem with your life. Your brain is reflecting how you are feeling about your life. Um, brain chemicals can be imbalanced, yes, but when you look at your brain chemicals, when you look at like the parts of your brain that are lit up, this is just like, you know, when they show you a brain scan, it's showing you what your brain is doing. It's showing you how you are using it currently. It's not showing you how it will look or it can look when you change the way you use it. So think of it like a thermometer. You can see your body temperature. It's the shape of a symptom, not the cause of the symptom. So don't don't think of your brain as broken. Just think about it as like your actions or your surroundings are broken. And once you start to practice a new way of being, you can alter your brain because your brain is flexible, it's retrainable. Neuroplasticity is a wonderful thing. My brain used to be very depressed, very self-loathing, also had very sick addictions. And now none of those exist. And it took a lot of rehearsing new thoughts and rehearsing new ways of being and a shit ton of therapy. But I say that to remind you that it's all possible. A lot of the hardest part of change is just really deciding to tackle the roots, just tackle the unhappiness. And I would say it's worth it. It's more worth it than the money, the possessions, the title, because we are continually told 
you know, that all that stuff matters. But at the end of the day, what's the point if you are not able to enjoy it? There's never, you'll never have everything. You know, it's like there's no end to needing stuff. You can gather more and more and more. And it's almost like, you know, when you get paid more, it's just like it doesn't even matter because you just reset to that new uh, threshold of like, I need this stuff now. And it's like, it's indefinite. It goes on forever. So what is its value to you if you don't feel that much, much better? So I invite you to shift your measures of a good life, not toward higher or more, but toward appreciation of the quality of your participation and enjoyment in what you have right now. Like, in other words, invest in the depth and richness and power of your relationships. Invest in the meaning and the purpose you have for your work. And whether that be the work you do at home or after your job, or if that means changing your work to be something that means more to you. Because from what I know about my own life, you know, that will stay forever out of reach. Like, we'll keep setting that bar higher and higher. And as soon, it's like as soon as you get that thing that you've been striving for or as soon as you achieve that external goal, it's like you set one that's higher than that. It's never good enough. It's never the end because that's like just the – that's the loop. That's the hamster wheel. And, yes, there's a lot – there are a lot of rich experiences that come from setting goals that are external. But that's not the be-all, end-all. And that's not what really gives you the good juices, the good happy juices. So it's not, I'm not saying eliminate all external goals. I'm just saying if you're depressed, spend some time and energy thinking about what's lacking internally. Um, Because otherwise, you know, you're like frozen on the top of a trophy. Like we're ever striving and ever unfulfilled. Are you frozen in a trophy position? If so, why not shift your goals to strong bonds with those around me, feeling like a good person, community. I hope this is helpful and I hope it's not overwhelming and I really hope that none of the information is like, fuck, I'm fucked. Don't, nothing is fucked. Everything is possible. And know that the first step of any change is just awareness and acceptance. And that is how we realize where we want to go and steps we want to take. So with that, I send you my love. And don't forget to smile. truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.